Okay, Pasa Mufasa. Welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast, a podcast about people solving problems with mushrooms. I'm your host, Dennis Walker, and today on the pod, we've got an extraordinary guest who is quite literally building the future out of mushroom. Joshua English of Occamworks Labs is a regenerative materials scientist and designer who has developed a mycelium-based biocomposite with structural, load-bearing properties. What does this mean exactly, Mufasa? Well, it means harnessing the self-replicating wonders of mycelium in order to create one-to-one substitutes for materials that have historically led to deforestation. It means building houses, furniture, boat holes, even spaceship holes out of mushroom mycelium instead of the increasingly rare tropical hardwoods, toxic industrial wares, etc., that are currently employed. Joshua has pioneered a patent-pending mycelium-based biocomposite called Zero Form with structural load-bearing properties, a monumental leap forward in the field to say the least. Zero Form uses low-tech means of creating load-bearing structural components from three simple ingredients, mycelium, hemp herd, and organic cotton. I straight up asked Joshua if it's a pie-in-the-sky fantasy to imagine a future where the world is quite literally made out of mycelium. You paddle your mycelium composite canoe down the canal, disembark and walk up your mycelium dock into your cozy little Occamworks Zero Form structural insulated panel-derived cabin and lay down on your mycelium bed to dream of sweet little birds singing in joyful harmony. Spoiler alert, it's not a fantasy world we're talking about here. It's the future of regenerative design. As Joshua himself states, science fiction always drives science. The potential impact of this kind of revolutionary and truly regenerative building material cannot be overstated. Folks, this is a big one. And by the way, If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Mycopreneur podcast and spread the word so we can continue to bring you intimate dialogues with engaging and dynamic mushroom innovators who are meaningfully and systematically disrupting the status quo and unveiling the future with a little help from our fungi friends. So without further ado, Joshua English of Occamworks, K. Pasa Mufasa, welcome to the Mycopreneur podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So Occamworks Labs, your brainchild, currently has a patent pending and extremely powerful mushroom technology that is a mycelium-based biocomposite called Zeroform with structural load-bearing properties. It's claimed to be the strongest mycelium composite on the planet, and that's an amazing technology to possess and exercise stewardship over. What are some practical applications for Zeroform? Like what kind of load-bearing structures and properties are we actually talking about? Yeah, uh, my... The, the first foray into this material going into the wild is going to be as a one-for-one replacement for timber framing in uh, buildings and housing structures, buildings in general, yeah. Mainly focused on the, at this point, in the prefabricated wall systems or prefabricated house um, system uh, world. You know, it's funny how quickly everything progresses when you're dealing with mycelium and whatnot, because I I had a conversation recently with a lab scientist and someone who's more of a biology background about this kooky notion that houses and buildings could one day be made out of mycelium. And he kind of disavowed it. He's like, we're nowhere close to that. And I'm like, I know a guy. I know a guy. Do you get that? Do you encounter that sort of hesitancy and doubt often? I do. And uh, it's fun to uh, have those initial conversations and say, I tell you what, can I just well, and then I'll show them on a Zoom because of COVID. You know, I've been having a ton of Zoom meetings, so I'll show them things on Zoom, and then I'll then they'll still be skeptical. 
And I love the reaction that I get when the email comes over, when that package arrives and they send that first excited email of what have you done here? I can't wait to tell me everything. And then we have a few more days of excitement building for when we have our next Zoom meeting, when they're holding it in their hands and we get to have that second conversation. It's always a fun conversation. That's remarkable. And just the scale and the speed at which all of this is moving, I think is confounding to the people who aren't actually doing it and observing it. It's like, the, the, the default there is to be hesitant and skeptical. And one of the things I really love about this idea of the micropreneur, which I think you, you know, wonderfully embody this archetype is that you're actively proving people wrong by doing it. You're like, hey, the proof is here. This is, you know, this isn't theoretical, this is in practice. And so to draw on that, I am really digging the mission statement identified on the Aquamorks website as people and planet before profits, after my own heart, hallelujah. Such a beautiful place to come from. What is the timeline you foresee regarding Aquamorks and similar mycelium-based biocomposites entering the global market at scale? Yeah, so the, the beautiful thing is, is that we already have two very good commercial examples of mycelium-based uh, composites. Um, the first one being Ecovative's uh, mycocomposite formulation, and it's a one-for-one -one replacement for styrofoam packaging and the shipments that we receive. That's done at a commercial scale, and it, and it was the first real true commercial uh, venture into mycelium-based composites. The second one being Michael Works Reishi one-for-one uh, -one animal leather replacement. Uh, now that is uh, something that is at commercial scale, but not currently commercially scale available, and it's only because it's, they just launched it. They just recently announced uh, uh, a, the first product, which is a, a collaboration with Hermes. It's a beautiful bag made with this one-for-one -one leather replacement. It's hard to, to, you can't really extrapolate one from the next, but for instance, Ecovative, uh, gosh, I wanna say it was five to six years. Uh, it took them before their first discovery till their uh, first customers were signed up for that foam packaging replacement. Uh, Michael works well their, their total timeline is a really long one Phil Ross has been at the game for a long time but from when they first had those first initial discoveries to their first commercial forays uh, we're looking at like half that the timeline of Ecovative so about two to three years so if we're if, if we will extrapolate because it's fun to do um, I expect a year and a half then we're, we're going to cut it you know in, in half each time uh, and just a good projection the uh, simple wild uh, scientific guess here would be a year and a half a year before we're seeing um, my product in uh, commercially available structural applications. Awesome. Well, I think you just touched on two of the key companies that I've been following very closely, which are Ecovative, of course, and Michael Works. And yeah. just the, the revolution that is occurring in terms of what is actually possible? Like, what are the limits? What is the cap on the potential or the horizons for mycelium-based design and the ability to disrupt tons of different industries. And I think it's still not really seated in popular consciousness. So I wanna introduce this uh, idea of like, how unrealistic is it to imagine a future world where fungi related innovation and design dominates the modes of production and people are living in mycelium based homes or at least have that option, paddling around in mycelium made canoes, which is a real thing. It's not ready for prime, prime time, but you're probably aware of the prototype. And, right. and 
all of these different functional assets are made out of mycelium. Is that a pie in the sky dream or is that something that you foresee being possible? Yeah, I, I don't think it's really pie in the sky at all. I think they're, like you mentioned, we're really, we haven't even scratched the surface of the surface yet. You know, it's still got that little, when you get that new device and it's got that plastic coating over the display, that the mycelium technology still has that little plastic coating on the display. We haven't even lifted that off to see this full thing that we have in front of us right now. Uh, when I talk to mycologists about my technology, um, they get really excited kind of rethinking about, oh, well, all the things I know about mycelium or the subunit, the hyphal structure, they, their wheels start churning and they start throwing out all these candidate species. Oh, well, you should look into this, look into that. Based on those initial discussions uh, and, and based on uh, what I do know about mycology and the trajectory of where we've gotten to from 2006 to now, uh, I really do not think it's very pie in the sky at all to, to think of uh, a few different areas where materials are going to be dominated uh, by fungal-based composites. Um, one is in textiles like Reishi, uh, Microworks uh, uh, product. The other would be a furthering of the technology in terms of uh, foam packaging replacements. Uh, these one-to-one -one replacements for animal leather, for packaging for any foam for any foam products, uh, for uh, meat products, um, and I mention that only because I'm mentioning things that either have a huge toxic effect on the earth, or they require some form of clear cutting to to uh, slake the thirst of people's you know appetite for. Uh, for meat, that is. So, so replacements for meat. And then in my application, replacements for structural components uh, and, and then by extrapolation, um, things that could be used for things like boat holes, spaceship holes, let's think big here, things to replace things in vehicles of all types. Uh, I really do not see uh, any cap on what can be developed uh, with fungal-based technology. Well, that makes two of us, and hopefully a few more in the audience today are going to get the wheels turning and start to look into some of these avenues. So mm -hmm. you were working in the San Francisco Bay Area for almost mm -hmm. three decades as an artist yeah. and designer, I understand. I'm a graduate of the University of San Francisco, so I know the area well. Uh -huh. And I'm curious, were you working with mycelium-based biocomposites there? And what prompted your relocation to San mm -hmm. Diego and your decision to headquarter Occamworks in America's finest city? <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah, um, I had moved to the Bay Area in 1992. Um, I went to Sonoma State and was a sculpture major back in the early 90s. Uh, and when I went back to school to get my degree in interior architecture and design from Academy of Art, um, I really was, was interested in, in just really going full force uh, back into the creative world as a, as a designer. Um, I, I fancy myself an industrial designer, even though my degree isn't in that, but I like to, to design things, even though my uh, degree is in interior architecture. I like designing things like chairs and, and useful things for the household. Uh, so my initial um, foray into mycelium, I, I wasn't working in biocomposites at all. I just have a very, very deep interest in uh, when I'm as a designer, when I'm creating something, I, I want to make sure that the materials that I'm using are the most sustainable. And actually, I don't even like using that term anymore. The most regenerative that I can find. 
And so that means that uh, if I'm gonna make uh, something, I'm gonna deep dive into that material. Uh, uh, I had heard about, you know, the rumblings of mycelium have been around for a while in, in these uh, regenerative design circles. Uh, but it wasn't until I had run into a, a friend of mine at a design conference uh, in Northwest Arkansas of all places, and he had mentioned mycelium. Uh, it got my wheels turning. I started doing that typical thing that I do, deep diving on what it is. I had found a bunch of great looking things, chairs, for instance, on the internet of mycelium chairs. Uh, but one thing I started noticing is you never saw anything sitting in them. And just saw, saw anyone sitting in, in these chairs, I should say. Uh, so as a designer, I thought, ah, I think I know why. And it's because they probably aren't strong enough to hold somebody. In fact, the friend of mine who, uh, who really got my wheels turning about this mentioned uh, that. He said, oh, there's, you know, it's exciting, but they're really foamy. It's not going to make anything. Uh, so my interest was in, you know, proving people wrong. I like to do that. I've, I've always been uh, somewhat of a contrarian. And uh, so when I started uh, looking into mycelium, my thought process was, well, I'm going to look into the literature, which all the literature that was available was saying, greatest foam packaging replacement has applications for, uh, you know, uh, making wall panels, things like that. Uh, we're still looking for that uh, holy grail for load bearing structural applications. Uh, and the common knowledge was if you wanted to create something with those types of applications, load bearing or structural, you'd have to figure out some way to incorporate uh, some kind of structural component within the, comp the composite. And the suggestions were always things like um, wood, <laughs> uh, metal rods, uh, any kind of support system that by itself is going to lend a huge amount of support. Well, that I didn't like that idea because, boy, you're taking something that's backyard compostable and now you're making it not backyard compostable. And with the composite material, um, the, the fewer components to that composite that you have, uh, the better off at the end of life that you have. So if you have a bunch of methyl ethyl bad stuff in your composite material to hold it together as the matrix, well, it's gonna be methyl ethyl bad stuff when it breaks down at the end. And if the structural component of that composite material has maybe some good stuff like hemp herd, which is what I use in my composite material, but it's hemp herd plus polyester fibers. Well, those polyester fibers um, may or may not, more than likely will render the end of life of that a toxic material. So I didn't want to have that. So my, my goal was to set up a series of experiments where I might find that way, that formulation that gets us to foamy, to structural. Uh, when I, as a business move, uh, I was expecting to take about a year and a half, two years to investigate that. Uh, it took me uh, a week and a half to, to have some really dumb luck to find the solution. And uh, as innovations go, when you're investigating something, every once in a while, you stumble upon an idea. And when I was reading into uh, the nature of invention um, after that discovery, because I couldn't believe it myself, uh, I, I come to find out that a lot of innovation happens because 
uh, people are doing serious science, but then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, a mistake happens. And then you realize, and then you got to reverse engineer to get back there. Uh, so it wasn't really a focus for my business to say, I'm going to develop the world's strongest mycelium based composite. Really, I just wanted to be the first designer to design and create a mycelium based chair without any substructure, just a mycelium composite chair that actually had somebody sitting in it. That actually prop, uh, even one step further would be something commercially viable. And in along the way, what I ended up doing was discovering a, a new formulation for growing mycelium into structural components. And so, yeah, it was complete mistake, wonderful mistake. I'm loving every day of the ride that I've been on for the last 13 months, actually. Love it. Well, I, I once uh, had Kenny Loggins tell me that luck smells like sweat. So I think you've been grinding for a while. You got it. And I hope the implications of this design technology are not lost on our audience. And um, this idea of, you know, tinker around. Mycelium has all kinds of bath baffling mysteries and properties yeah. that are still not well understood. And that I'm a yeah. firm believer in this drive of the fringe element and citizen yeah. scientists being the ones who are going to unpack a lot of this stuff because they're not limited by the cumbersome apparatus of, you know, traditional scientific establishment. I think that's one of the most exciting things about this uh, micropreneurial revolution, if you will. Um, also, I really want to draw, I want to revert to what you mentioned about thinking big and mm -hmm. using mycelium biocomposites to replace boat holes and spaceship holes. And I've been following some of the recent astromycology developments, which mm -hmm. is a term that's pretty fresh out the oven, I got to say, astromycology mycology regarding long distance space travel and colonization, which is a delicate but accurate terminology for what's on the horizon. One of the concepts of interest that's come up under this umbrella is that NASA has been investing and in researching mycelium composites yeah. as a construction material for moon bases. I would imagine yeah. you're aware of some of this research and development. Yeah, I am. And it is pretty exciting to think about. Um, I, I think I might be just a tad late for uh, kind of influencing where NASA is headed right now. Uh, but I'm hoping that once we start getting some good serious data um, under our belts um, for the material that I've uh, developed, uh, perhaps they might circle back and, and reconsider. Uh, the plans that they have are cute. Um, it's just that I, I don't think that they're really going to pan out the way that they're thinking uh, based on my um, understanding of how mycelium composites are right now. A lot of what they're thinking about um, are theoretical ideas, um, and uh, it's it's all definitely a step in the right direction. It's exciting, and I tell you, um, the, the the thought process that you can send a syringe to the moon, and then through the process of in that colony having agricultural waste products that you can then feed to that the spores that you have in that syringe, and then over time being able to grow enough building materials from your waste and from these tiny little spores to build bigger structures and then you know from there just you know continually circular um, uh, regeneration of waste new structures waste new structures it's very exciting very 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 exciting it sure is and i'm gonna i'm gonna draw back from something i spot on your website which is another north star 
to keep in the NASA terminology, or guiding ethos that I spotted, which is encompassed in this statement. We believe that the Anthropocene has caused a rift between humans and the biosphere. We also believe that time is of the essence. We need to act collectively and decisively, eschewing unlimited growth and profit. We must fully embrace regenerative business models and circular economies. From your lens, Joshua, what do regenerative business models and circular economies look like in practice? Yeah, uh, well, uh, first and foremost, um, it, it looks like regional supply chains. That's the, the big thing. And I, I, I have a, 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 a professional career that spans a few different uh, professions there. But uh, one thing that I spent a long time doing was large system design and large system uh, analysis. Uh, and one of the things that I really like doing is breaking things down to these really small components. And when I think about regenerative design, um, I really think that the crux of it is, is thinking from the very beginning about how are you going to get the stuff that makes what you make? And, and that's all wrapped up in this new paradigm of thinking with life cycle analyses, you know, these LCA analyses that are giving us these great data on, on carbon um, efficiencies. Uh, and so, uh, you know, starting from that concept of first knowing where your stuff is coming from and trying to get that from within a 200, 300 mile radius. And then when you're done with making those goods, they should only be distributed to a 200, 300 mile radius. Now, things like building materials, those might have a larger supply radius for that product. Um, but the supply uh, is, is commensurate with the, the LCA analysis. All the while, what that does, uh, the other major parts of regenerative design is that you're taking care of the humans involved in that supply chain, uh, the manufacturing chain, which is where we get most of our carbon efficiency from in manufacturing. Uh, and then in the sales of that, you're creating jobs, um, you're eliminating waste streams, um, and, and at the end, you're improving local economies. And then that knowledge base can then be transferred around the world. I'm not shipping you my eight foot beam to put in your house. I'm shipping you the technology because what we want to do, another key aspect of regenerative design says, I want to manufacture this product with the least amount of inputs, heat, energy, water, you name it. And so if we could find uh, that fungal species and that substrates, uh, uh, that plant-based substrate that grows uh, with the least amount of energy in another region, um, that's better than shipping them mine grown in my region. So again, so now the regeneratively, the same economic benefits and human benefits and environmental benefits that I have in my area can then be transported to another area. And, and that to me is the beauty of it is everybody shares in the wealth. We don't hoard the wealth, everybody benefits. There's a mutual benefit. And, and, and in a beautiful tie-in to what we were just talking about uh, in terms of what NASA is looking at for moon bases, uh, wouldn't growing these on the moon, again, that's, that's part of regenerative design. We're not shipping these eight foot sections up to the moon we're shipping the technology to the moon so that they can regenerate up on the moon as well. Mars, future planets, somewhere else when we're done with this one. 
Man, if you had dropped in on me when I was a senior in high school in 2007 and told me we were going to be having this conversation uh -huh. in 2021, you know, maybe I wouldn't have been surprised, but I'm pretty shocked and flabbergasted that we're literally having a conversation about NASA, you know, growing moon bases and you doing everything with Occamworks. So it's, it's what a time to be alive is what I always come back to. It's like, this is a robust time to be alive. It's exciting. You know, Star, Star Trek is one of my uh, favorite uh, shows. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you've seen one of the current franchise uh, franchises, Star Trek Discovery. Uh, the, the spaceship technology uh, of the Star, uh, of Star Trek. Spore of drive, right? Spore drive. Yeah, it's a, it's a mycelium-based spore drive, yeah. And uh, the chief science officer is uh, named Paul Stamets. I mean, it's, it's just, so it's, you know, technology has always been driven by those that are in science fiction. And that just sparks our imagination and makes us think in terms, folks like myself who design these things, I, I actually watch uh, watch that show and have gotten several ideas for how I've developed my material just by watching Star Trek. And I think that uh, in the near future, what we have seen in terms of what the future looks like, you know, these these shiny white uh, composite materials, that might look very different actually in the very near future. Instead of looking like something that comes out of Space Odyssey, it's gonna look like something more out of a Tolkien novel. Maybe it's gonna, spaceships will look more like something that the hobbits or the elves have built, not like something that's you know coming out of some sterile, you know, uh, no color, you know, everything synthesized lab. Maybe it's going to be a very biologically based future. You know, the composite materials won't be synthesized and dead. They'll be living and wonderful and regenerative that way. Sure enough, and that brings up uh, a really interesting point, uh, which we don't have to go down, but about panspermia and about the history of some of mm. these materials, which mm -hmm. I'm personally fascinated by. So to bring it, we've been talking about sort of the macro level, some policy theory mm -hmm. frameworks. I want to bring it down to the micro level and ask, uh, what does your day-to-day -day workflow look like at Occamworks? <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, um, it, it really does depend. I'm a one-man band right now, so I'm doing the business development and the science all at the same time. Uh, so uh, pretty busy days, uh, uh, but currently I'm creating the samples for uh, testing at the Living Materials Laboratory at University of Colorado Boulder. Uh, so for instance, I have some samples that are in the drying phase of, of, of the process right now. Uh, so, uh, for instance, this morning I had some projections about what those, what the volume of those parts and the densities of those parts would look like. Uh, and I also have projections on what the bench weight was and what the projected, or I should say mass, what the mass of that uh, sample would be at the end of the drying phase. So right now I'm collecting those data, weighing them every few hours, taking measurements and doing that. I'm, I'm just doing the, the wonderful mundane work of science um, to, uh, to then send it off so that we could do the, the more mundane work of crushing things and, and figuring out uh, load capacities and things. Sure, and you know, any good organization has compartmentalization, right? And then you can stay in your wheelhouse. And I believe I may have heard that you are actually looking to expand Occamworks. Yeah. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about what kind of roles you're looking to fill? Sure, yeah, um, there's some really great work that's been done um, to research where mycelium composites are. And one of the uh, things that a lot of the researchers talk about is that uh, we can't silo this. It can't be designers like me just tinkering around. Now I have a pretty science-minded background, um, but 
Um, I think that it's going to take folks who are very focused on material science. So as a designer, I would like to have a team that I want a materials engineer. I want a mycologist. And then I want somebody who has a, a skill set in digital fabrication. And why I think those three, th three roles are very important are um, that you have these, these three looks at one, the materials engineer is, is working with the mycologist at the micro level and saying, well, if the hyphal structure is this and that gives us this kind of uh, quality, uh, then the digital uh, fabricator then comes in and says, well, I've used AI to crunch over all of those numbers and here are the best structural um, shapes that we can look at um, to create. So I'm looking at building this multidisciplinary team um, of scientists um, and designers who can look at this from a very rounded perspective. And then I also am looking to then take those data and then share that with the university so that we can have folks, um, ec economists looking at this from the LCA analysis standpoint um, and having uh, grad students who are uh, you know, materials engineers um, or mycologists, then furthering that research. Uh, it really is going to take that kind of, uh, of multidisciplinary effort. I'm a great admirer of your bootstrapping nature, just the one-man mm -hmm. band doing it all. <laughs> I'm not quite at scale commercially with what I'm doing here, but I, I understand this sense of having to wear a lot of hats. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, it's always good to feel like you can compartmentalize and you can put mm -hmm. people in charge in the right places and all that and give them autonomy and whatnot. So it sounds like you're ready to uh, make this happen, make the shift in that. I heard you're moving into new headquarters. Can you tell us a little bit about what that's going to look like? Yeah, it's a, it's a nail biter right now. I'm, I'm um, looking for a larger facility where I can um, hire seven people. Um, those three positions that I was talking about, a couple design assistants, uh, and then some folks that can help run the day-to-day -day operations and sales. Um, so I'm, I'm gonna increase the size of my shop uh, about four or five times. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of exciting, but uh, the lease on my current shop is up at the end of the month. So, uh, oh boy, oh boy, just, that's just the way things have been going. But, uh, you know, I've been kind of letting go and letting the fungi kind of take me on this journey. So I, I'm just trusting that the universe is going to get me where I need to be. Awesome. Well, I mean, it did give you that dumb luck where you struck gold on what you were just mentioning a little bit earlier. So I guess your your faith is well placed right now. So yeah. it's also it's my understanding, Joshua, that you have a relationship with the micropreneurs over at Ecovative Design. Can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that relationship, how it began and how it's going? Yeah, well, uh, you know, the, those, those folks were the progenitors of all of this. Uh, it, was, it was a grad school project with Eben and Gavin uh, back in 2006. And so in my initial uh, foray into this, you know, you really read a lot about their findings, the, where, you know, where, how they had gotten uh, uh, to hear from there. Uh, so when I had found my discovery, documented my findings, and then filed it with the patent office to get my provisional patent, um, I shared my results with them, uh, and they were uh, very intrigued. Um, and so they've been very helpful with sharing a lot of the knowledge that they have, um, the, that they've collected over the years. Uh, that's been very helpful. Uh, they've just been also just helpful as micropreneurs, uh, uh, just kind of sharing the lumps and bumps and that they've taken along the way. It's been very helpful as well. 
Um, I will say that um, from the very beginning, uh, they, they've uh, been trying to uh, uh, steer me away from building materials. Uh, and at the end, I, I just, he, they just asked, why? Why building materials? It could take for years to develop a building material that finally makes it to the market. And I just told him, this is just the, it's the, it's like my Moby Dick. I really just feel deforestation and forest uh, degradation are one of the heaviest things that weigh on my heart on a daily basis. And so thinking of, of, of having uh, an item that you can grow that could be a one-for-one -one replacement for timber products and building materials seems like such a very wonderful, worthwhile endeavor that it really, to me, it doesn't matter if it bankrupts me, if it causes me to spend the next 10 years of my life and I don't actually find one red cent of profit from it. I don't care. I want this to be uh, viable. Um, and so uh, that those relationships have been very helpful because, uh, and, then, and then also um, speaking briefly with Phil Ross in the very beginning of this too, he kind of gave me a lot of pragmatic views on, on what it takes to get through that drudgery of scientific discovery and fighting through to commercial commercialization. Um, uh, so that, that helpfulness of knowing that we're here on the, the frontier, but we're all kind of like helping each other out. The way it seems like to me as an analogy would be uh, like the, uh, the gold miners in the, in, in the gold rush. You know, those guys were up in the hills and sure they were each wanting to stake their claims, but when it all came down to it, uh, they were really into it um, and they needed to survive and they needed to help each other in order to survive. And I kind of see that right now. We're on this frontier. Um, everybody needs to stake their claim and kind of focus on one aspect of that, um, but we need to help each other and pull each other along. And that's what's been very helpful is that they've been very helpful, uh, big brothers, if you will, on, on uh, some of the pitfalls and the, the dangers of, of coming into this frontier. Sure, and that feeds back into the people and planet before profits mm -hmm. guiding yeah. ethos, which I think so many people that I've talked to and interface with are kind of in the same boat where, yeah, yeah. of course it would be awesome to, you know, Ecovative just had $60 million in, yeah. in a funding round of multiple rounds and whatnot. But at the end of the day, it's like, are we, are problems being solved and are they being solved in a regenerative capacity? And there's a lot of nuance there and a lot of room for solving some of the most pressing climate issues and like social mm -hmm. issues you know, accelerating decolonization processes, kind of whatever somebody's mind can lead them to imagine. I believe that mycelium are available as an ally in that capacity. Yeah. Um, yeah. So speaking of the one-to-one -one replacements, I've got a little music studio that I'm building at my house in Southern Mexico. I currently live in Chiapas. So also your, you know, mission to kind of end de deforestation or mitigate it is uh, mm -hmm. important to me because I live, you know, I've been down to the Lacondin jungle, one of the most beautiful places on the planet. And there's timber markets that are there, you know, and their old growth mm -hmm. forests are being cut down and there's all kinds of politics and international business involved and whatnot. But back to the music studio, it's actually housed in a 200-year-old church that my wife and I mm. are renting, uh, which is a house now. And one of the reasons I specifically rented this house was because I wanted to build a dope recording studio with great acoustics in a very ethereal and historical space. Well, it turns out that the acoustics are not great for recording vocals in there. And it's been huh. kind of a, a head-scratcher for me because I was like, I thought churches are designed with acoustics in mind, but no right. dice on this one. Well, I've seen, <laughs> actually through a link on your website, I believe that redirected to another one, that there are mycelium 
carbon-based biocomposites in acoustic paneling. So my question yeah. is, is, is this something that I should be looking into and that's like actively available right now? Is acoustic uh, paneling made out of mycelium material? Yeah, it, it is an exciting thing. Uh, Mogu, M-O-G-U, is the company that are uh, that is making those. Um, and I really do think you should look into those because when we think about acoustic panels, uh, typically they're made from foam materials or some other uh, kind of um, uh, non-regenerative material. Uh, so yes, I would very much look into that. Uh, and then uh, it's one of those things too, uh, knowing that the technology for growing YouTube is that, uh, you can look up uh, the formulas for uh, what it, you know, what kind of baffling you would need on your walls to, to mitigate the, the reverberations that are doing that. So you can actually create your own custom shaped panels that have your own design on them for your own church. And that I think is the wonderful aspect of this is uh, when it comes down to it, a lot like that the DIY drive that we have, I think is going to be really fueled, uh, have this kind of second resurgence, I think with mycelium based composites, um, because uh, when we all start to realize that skills, that skill set is actually quite attainable, um, then instead of really kind of wondering about it, you're just gonna set about, well, okay, great. I'm gonna just make those uh, panels myself and then I'll start um, fixing my problems in my recording studio without anybody's help. Yeah, I mean, that's the goal for sure. And I'm also quite excited about the potential for mycelium as like a 3D printing composite because I can foresee, you mm. know, I've done a little bit of research into that and been tangential to some of the work. Yeah. But yeah, the sky's the limit mm. on this one. That's for sure. So like you said, we've just scratched the surface of the surface. And I really believe when I do these, you know, discourses and engage people like we could talk for hours at end, but I also like to try to, you know, encapsulate it in a nice palatable, digestible 40 minutes, 45 minutes. And um, I certainly have some research to do after I've, you know, been hearing more about what you're up to and following. But I, I want to ask if you have any parting shots before we wrap up. Are there any uh, other projects you're involved with? I know you're extremely busy, but is there anything that you want to specifically address or promote? And the world works in mysterious ways, and I never know who's listening to this podcast. So people listening, like straight up, right? Write Joshua an email. I'll, I'll make sure that you can, you know, we link your website and whatnot for Aquamorks, but like maybe you'll find one of those designers, you know, through this audience or whatnot. Yeah, well, well the first thing is that I really do think that uh, as folks um, listening to this are probably part of the choir, the, the eco-loving choir, uh, but um, everybody should start changing the way we think about this. And we need to stop using the term sustainability because we can't sustain where we're, what the trajectory we're on. We need to start thinking regeneratively. Um, so th that would be my, uh, my first um, admonition is that let's start changing the way we're talking about this. The other thing is that, um, yes, we can say the sky's the limit with mycelium composites, uh, but let's be careful to um, make sure that we're talking about what it is and what it isn't. Um, using materials in a responsible way means that we aren't just using the material for the sake of using the material. And we're not um, selling people uh, a bill of goods that doesn't have a good science uh, backup to it. Um, so we need to meet out these new technologies in ways that are going to help it stay commercially viable by maintaining its usefulness and its purpose. 
And if, it, if we rush something to market and then it utterly fails, well, that's going to create a barrier for the future um, of, of mycelium-based uh, materials. So I think that's another thing is making sure that we're not rushing things out there. Um, another thing uh, is that, yeah, I, I really do uh, feel that if you want to get into this field, not just mycelium composites, but all kinds of living materials, um, uh, and you're a designer and or you're a materials engineer or you're a mycologist, make sure you're, you're widening your team and thinking about these. Now, even though I'm a one-man band right now, I've had a lot of input from a lot of other folks along the way, and I'm looking to expand those and bring those other voices in. Um, so, so yeah, I think that that would be a really important thing. Uh, and really too, um, when, if, you're, if you are building a, a, a house or, or you're involved in a, a project at work and you need some kind of new material, uh, be a voice in the wilderness if you need to, be a broken record and say, let's think regeneratively about that. Let's not just buy eco just because it says eco. Eco is a dirty term nowadays. It doesn't tell us what really something is made of. So be early adopters uh, when it comes to using something uh, that is available out there to us. Beautifully put. And I just wanna, I wanna shout out my, my friend, Patrick Cordell, who's an architect. Patrick, look into mycotexture. Come on, start thinking regenerative, man. I mean, this is really inspiring stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. Joshua, I really appreciate you swinging by and dropping some knowledge on the Mycopreneur podcast, man. It's been a true pleasure to chat with you. And I'm a San Diego, you know, I'm here in Mexico, but I'm from San Diego and uh, I'll be back in, in May. So I might drop you a line and try to come check out the new facility if there's time for it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, sounds great. This was a great time. I uh, very much appreciate you inviting me on. Sure enough. All right. Well, happy Friday. Cheers. Sweet. Cheers. There's so much to cover in the mushroom universe and so many mycopreneurs leveraging the infinite potential of fungi to create a more ecologically balanced, inclusive, and equitable world for all of us mischievous little monkeys. I am completely stoked that you've chosen to spend some of your hard-earned time in our little corner of the mycoverse. Hop on the gram. Say what's up. At Mycopreneur Podcast. That's the handle. Don't get it twisted. We've got the full suite of social media up and running. Twitter, Mycopreneur. Got the YouTubes dialed in, Mycopreneur. Drop us a line. Tell your grandma and your kooky uncle. Tell your wife and your kids. If you're a Mycopreneur yourself, you want to hop on the pod, by all means, willkommen, bienvenidos, welcome. Don't be a stranger. Let us know your thoughts on this episode and also let us know what you want to hear in future episodes. This is a team effort. Thanks for stopping by the Mycopreneur Podcast. Have a lovely day. We'll see you back here next week.